we talked a lot about the importance of soul winning and how that if we are going to be an effective soul winner, we need three abilities. Every child of God needs three abilities, and we talked about those last time we were together. First of all, we said that every child of God needs to realize their responsibility, and it is we need to know that I am responsible, you are responsible. If you're here tonight and you are a blood-bought, born-again believer, you've placed your trust in Christ and Savior, in Christ as Savior, then we all have a responsibility to share our faith, to share the gospel, the good news of who Christ is, to a lost and dying world. How many of you know that this evening? How many of you realize that I can't do your soul winning and you can't do my soul winning? But I am called to share with others the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel in my sphere of influence. I have a sphere of influence and you have a sphere of influence. And God expects us to um, share our faith, to share who he is within that sphere of influence. You say, brother, what's a sphere of influence? That's the people that God puts around you on a day-to-day basis. And it may be in your family. It may be in your friend group. It may be with the people you work with. It may be people at the grocery store or people at the ball game. It's wherever God puts lost people around you so that you can share how good he is. And so, folks, we all have a responsibility to share our faith with those that we come in contact with, whether it be across the street or around the world. And God calls us to do both. He calls us to go across the street and he calls us to go around the world. And as he opens doors to do both, we, by faith, step through the doors he opens. Amen? And so it's our responsibility to be soul winners. Um, And again, I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me, but all of us together, we reach more people for the cause of Christ. You can reach people that maybe I can't reach. And maybe I can reach people that you can't reach. But all of us working together uh, can be what God has called us to be, which is soul winners. And and I'm asking that uh, we all realize our responsibility first and foremost. But not only do we need to realize our responsibility to be soul winners, but we also need to think about availability. And what I mean by that, we must make ourselves available for the Lord to use us. We must relinquish our will to God's will. How many of you know when you trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, you gave him the reins to your life? Now it's no longer about what you want, it's what he wants. It's no longer about what you say, but what he says. It's no longer about your plan and purpose, but his plan and purpose. And so we must relinquish our will to his and make ourselves available to be used. And when you do that, when you do that, God promises to do the work in you and through you that only he can do. How many of you know he never leaves us nor forsakes us? And what God has called us to do, he equips us with the power to do. Can you say amen? But we need to make ourselves available. We've got to be like Isaiah. When Isaiah said, Lord, here I am, send me. God, you don't have to look any further. Lord, I want to go and be your mouthpiece out in the world, among lost people in the world that we live in. And so to be a soul winner, we have to realize our responsibility. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3 tells us that if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. If we don't tell people how good Jesus is, who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? It's our responsibility. But we also must make ourselves available 
for the Lord to use. Lord, here I am, send me. And then what we've got to do is not only relinquish our will to God's, but then we've got to pray that the Lord uses us for his honor and his glory. We've got to pray that God opens doors for us to show and share the love of Jesus. And we've got to commit to sharing with whomever, whenever, however we possibly can. And folks, when we make that commitment and we ask God to open that door uh, to, to show and share his love with others, I can promise you, you need to get ready because he'll do that. He'll make you, uh, he'll give you opportunity after opportunity to share just how good he truly is. When you make yourself available. And there's nothing like being used of the Lord uh, as a soul winner. And so... It's an, it's an amazing thing. And I'm so glad as a believer, I got the privilege. I have the privilege to go out and do what God has called me to do. So it's responsibility, availability. And then we talked about adaptability. Do you remember us talking about that and how that we preach the same gospel to everybody? How many of y'all know that? There's, there's not but only one gospel. That's it. The truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It is by grace through faith and the finished work of Christ that we are all saved if we're saved. One gospel. But we come at people in maybe several different angles when preaching that gospel. Paul said, um, when I'm speaking to the Jew, I'm speaking to someone who is under the law. So I use that angle. But if I'm speaking to a Gentile who's not under the law, then I come at him or her in a little different angle. Same gospel, same message, same truth. But he's using many times different tactics to share the gospel, the truth of who Christ is. That's why he tells us uh, there in, um, in verse number 22, he said, I've become all things to all men so that, I might buy, so, so that I might save some. He says, I'm meeting people where they are, whether they're Jews and under the law or Gentiles not under the law. I'm sharing the same gospel, but, gospel, but I'm coming at them in a di little different angle. And we've got to learn to do the same thing. We have to adapt our approach from time to time uh, depending on who we're talking to. Same gospel, but many times different tactics and a different approach. That's what Paul said, I'll become all things to all men. Now, he continues with that starting in verse number 24. And Paul, being the master teacher that he is, he illustrates for us what we are to do in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. And, and the illustration he gives is that of a runner running a race and a boxer fighting in a fight. Now, this illustration that he gives starting in verse number 24 and through the end of the chapter. The, the Corinthian church would have known full well what he's talking about because they would have uh, been very familiar with the Greek Olympic Games. And so when he starts using the terminology that he uses, running races and boxing in a boxing match, they would have known what he was saying there. He does here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 just what Jesus does when Jesus uses the parables for teaching. He takes something physical uh, and explains a deep spiritual truth. And that's the same thing Paul does right here. He's using the illustration of race to share with us how we are supposed to live out our Christian life and walk with the Lord. So let's start in verse number 24 and look what he says. There's three main points that I want to give you this evening. First of all, I want us to see that we must run this race, race with persistence. But not only that, we've got to run with purpose, number two. And then number three, we've got to run in power, all right? 
Now look how Paul puts it. First of all, he says, we must run with persistence in the 24th verse. He says, know you not that they which run in a race, watch what he says. He says, you've got to run all of it. You don't run some of it. You don't run most of it. You don't run a lot of it. He says, if you're really going to be effective in running your race and living out your faith and walking with Jesus, you've got to run all of it. Amen? You've got to go the distance. That's what we are supposed to do as believers. From the time we trust in Jesus till we take our last breath, we need to be running our race. How many of you know there is no retirement plan from being a child of God? God always has something for you to do in his body if you've still got breath in your lungs. So let me ask you, can everybody do this for me? Can you do that tonight? Well, if you can still do that, God still has purpose for you. If you can still do that, then listen, God wants to use you to honor and glorify himself. And he wants to use you as one member among many in the body to edify the body. Can you say amen? He's got purpose for you. And, and so listen, we need to keep running our race and run all the race. Not some of it, not most of it, but all of it. But why would Paul use this terminology like he uses? Why does he say if you're going to run, you've got to run all of it? Because Paul knew something about running races that we all need to get a hold of. How many of you know there are times when you're running a race when it's joyful? But there are times when running a race, it's heartbreaking. There are times when running a race, it's terrific. But there's some tough times in running your race. There's times when, listen, um, it's good times in running that race. But there's also some bad times in the midst of running the race. Your Christian life that he's illustrating right here. And that's true for each and every one of us. And he says, we can't just Run some when it's good, but we must run all even when it seems to be bad. We can't just run when times are terrific, but we've got to run when times are tough. We've got to be persistent in our running. Let me see if I can give you an illustration tonight of a race that I was once involved in. and It happened just last year. Me and uh, Brother Don Brooks made the decision that we were going to go over to Nashville, Tennessee, and run a Spartan race. Now, you say, Roosevelt, what is a Spartan race? Well, a Spartan race um, is a race that has several different obstacles um, along the course. The race that we were running was a 10K. It was about a little over six miles, and it had several different obstacles within that six miles. I mean, there were walls you jumped over, and uh, these big hay bales you jumped over, and these climbing rigs that you climbed on, and mud pits that you went in, just all kinds of different things that you had to go through in the course of this race. And this was kind of, for me, one of those bucket list things that I've always wanted to do. You know, I've looked and researched them for a long time and uh, got to know Brother Don, and he runs those regularly, and he's very good at them. And he got telling me about all the things that went into that, and so I got excited about it, and he was excited about it, and we went to Nashville and ran a race. And I want to tell you something. There's three things I want to give you on this first main point, three sub-points. The first one that I want you to see is that racing can be fun and creates jubilation. Now, what I mean by jubilation? It can create joy in your heart, joy in your life. Let me illustrate that. We were standing at the starting line on this race that morning, brother, if you remember, and they were playing these, uh, they were playing music, um, they were playing uh, um, Welcome to the Jungle, and man, I was fired up on the starting line for this race. 
You know, I'm talking about adrenaline flowing, pumped up and ready to go. My eyes have done got big, brothers and sisters. I was like, man, I am fixing to absolutely kill this race. I mean, I could not wait to get started. Heart just jumping out of my chest. And so they let us go, man. We're running down there, run for about a quarter of a mile and the whole way. Man, I'm just grinning from ear to ear, excited about what's going on. I look over at Brother Don. He's the same way. He's talking to me. And he actually told me, he said, man, you need to slow down just a little bit. You run a little bit too fast because I want to get there, man, get going. You know, and he's like, we got six miles to go. Believe me, all these people that are sprinting right now, we're going to pass them in a little bit. And he was right. You had to set your pace. You know, you had to get in that rhythm of running like you need to run if you're going to make the whole make the whole way. And so I'm running down through there, and we run about a quarter of a mile there. Come to this big hay bale. And man, I'm fired up, ready to go. Hit that hay bale, jump right over. And I'm like, man, I got this. I'm fixing to kill this race. And so we ran for about another, I don't know, 500 yards, maybe another eighth of a mile, quarter of a mile, and we came to the first set of walls. First wall was like six feet, ain't that right, brother? And you got to jump over this wall. And I jumped over that sucker so easy, man. I, my, my hands came off the wall when I jumped over. I jumped so hard. Went to the next one, seven-foot wall, jumped over that. Went to the next one, eight-foot wall, jumped over that. And the whole time, this race is fun. And it's creating jubilation. And I'm joyful. I'm loving it. So we get done with the third wall. And all this time up to this point, we've been running this way on a slow downhill grade. After we got past the third wall, the grade went from this to this, you know. So I'm still a little bit fired up, you know. It's not as fun as it was, but it's pretty fun. You know, we're running up through there and we're still talking, having a good time. You know, we're passing some of these people that were sprinting at the finish line now. We're knocking some folks off along this hill. I'm like, man, this is going good. So we get up almost halfway up this hill, and it's a long hill. I would call it a mountain. I guess we would consider it a mountain around here. And, and we get about halfway up this big old hill, and, and there's a sandbag carrying station. Now, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. And if anybody ever invites you to come carry sandbags for fun, don't do it. It's not fun. They want nothing fun about carrying sandbags. I don't know how much it weighed, 100 pounds maybe. 75, 100 pounds, just a bag full of sand, and you had to throw this sucker on your shoulder and run for 200 meters with it, I think it was. But the 200 meters went like this. You went up the hill this way, then it turned, and you went up the hill this way. And so I throw this sucker up on my shoulder. I'm still feeling pretty good, you know, and I take off running with this sandbag. Now, let me tell you what happened really, really quickly. I started running with it, and very quickly that run went to a slow jog. I went from a slow jog to a fast walk and from a fast walk to a really slow walk. And all of that happened well before I made it to the 200 meter mark. And by the time I got from the 200 meter mark, I had went from the bag up here feeling good to the bag down here just trying to make it. And let me tell you the, the second point, the second sub point under what I'm saying about running with persistence. Racing will take work and creates perspiration. Amen? There came a time when big old drops of sweat, about as big as quarters, were falling off my head from carrying this sandbag, you know? And I figured out real quick, yeah, this was fun, but there's also a lot of work to this. said, brother, what's that, what does that mean to us? What does that mean for us as we're living our Christian life, as we're walking out our faith day by day, as we're running our race? Well, I'll tell you what it means. There's going to be some times that create jubilation in your soul 
in the race that you're running for the Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, you are going to absolutely be fired up about your walk with Christ, about your church, about what you're doing in the kingdom of God, and you're just going to think, man, it cannot get any better than this. I mean, God is just blessing and working and moving in your life like never before, and you're going to think, man, this is just absolutely amazing. But there's going to come times too, listen to me now, when your race is going to turn into work, It'll be joyful and it'll create jubilation. I promise you, it'll be fun. But there's going to come a time when it turns into work and it'll create some perspiration. I've told you before, sometimes in my walk with Christ and doing what the Lord has called me to do, I, sometimes I don't know if I'm washing or hanging out. It kind of feels like I meet myself both ways. I mean, when, when you've got a full-time job and you've got a family and, and then doing what we do at the church, man, everything sometimes seems to never end. And I, I'll be honest with you. I don't get tired of the work. I don't. I love the work. I enjoy doing what God has called me to do. I enjoy this more than anything else. Like I've said many times before, I'd preach for nothing and pay to preach like we talked about last week. I mean, I love what I do. I love what God has called me to do. And I'm so thankful for the ministry God has given me, for the church God has given me. I don't get tired of the work. But brothers and sisters, there is times when I get tired in the work. Don't you? All of us do. And sometimes we feel burdened down and things get heavy, just like that old sandbag, you know. And we're doing everything we can to keep running and get to the next point that, that we need to get to, the next goal we want to achieve. Happens for us all. Not only does race is racing fun and creates jubilation, and racing takes work and creates perspiration, but racing will be tough and takes dedication. Amen? takes dedication. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7. Watch this, brothers, if you will, please put this on the screen for me. 2 Timothy 4, in the 7th verse. The Bible says this, I fought a good fight. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and this is the last letter he writes to whom he calls his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, and I've kept the faith. Now, why is he saying all this? Verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul knew it was coming close to the time when he would be killed for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He knew he was about to leave this walk of life. You know what he says? Even in times that were tough, if you go back a few verses in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you'll see how he talks about all the people who left him and all the people that betrayed him. And all the people that he thought was really with him and on his side that left him high and dry when he needed them most. And he'll talk about how that 
He was all by himself there in the prison. At least he was all by himself as far as men went. Jesus was always with him. And then he says, even though all this has happened, even though times got tough, I stayed dedicated. Dedicated to the race I was running. I've got a short video tonight that I want to play for you that illustrates this probably about as good as I've ever saw. It's um, a story of a young lady. I think her name's Amanda Dornadin. I think that's right. I may be wrong. It tells it in the video. But this is at the Big Ten Championship, uh, collegiate championship she's running in. And um, she's running the 600-meter um, race. It's uh, on a 200-meter track, so it's three laps. Watch what happens in this race. It's pretty good. Isn't that cool? Now, I want you to think about what happened with that young lady. For two laps, she was running a fantastic race. Matter of fact, at the moment she goes into first place, passes the leader, she trips and falls. When she started the race, running as strong as she was running, I bet that was fun for her, don't you? I bet that created jubilation. About the second lap, I don't care who you are, when you're sprinting three laps on a 200-meter track, you're probably going to realize this has turned into some work and it's creating perspiration. But then at the end of the second lap, right as she goes into first place, somebody hits her foot, she falls on her face, and I bet she realized, man, this right here is tough. If I'm really going to win this race, it's going to take some dedication. She was dedicated enough to do what? Get back up and keep running. Now, what does that mean for us? There are going to be times in your Christian walk, in your Christian life, when you are going to fall absolutely flat on your face. We're going to mess up, make mistakes, fall into temptation, 
suffer trials and tribulation. You're going to feel as though somebody has snuck up behind you, jerked the rug out from under your feet, and you fell flat on your face, and you're going to wonder which end is up. Let me tell you something. What you must do is what Heather Dornadin did. Get up and keep running. Be dedicated enough, persistent enough to run not some of the race, not most of the race, but all of the race. And the good news is this. Our God is a God of amazing, matchless grace. Satan wants you to believe that just because you've blown it, just because you fell flat on your face, just because you've stumbled, that God don't want to use you, can't use you, and won't use you for the rest of your life. He wants to keep you discouraged, depressed, and beat down by the lies he puts into your head. Let me tell you something. The same Jesus who once saved you is the same Jesus who keeps you day by day. And he promises that if you, keep, you will confess your sin to him, he'll forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He'll pick you back up by his grace, put you back to running the race, and help you do and be what he saved you to do and be. Can you say amen to that? You've got to have some persistence, though. There's joy in it. It's fun running the race. It creates jubilation. It's work and creates perspiration. Racing's tough and takes dedication. So run with persistence. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you. He loves you with an unconditional everlasting love. Not only want you to see that you need to run with persistence, but you must run with purpose. Verse number 24, the last part of the verse, says, Know ye not that they which, on, which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may what? Everybody say that word. Obtain. He's saying the reason you're running is so that you might win. You've got to run with purpose. Now, let me go back to the race I was running. Like I told you before. In that race, in that race that me and Brother Don went to together, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I knew I wasn't going to win. I'm not much of a runner. I did want to finish. I did want to, you know, go on and, and, and do the best I could do, no doubt about it. But my goal was just to make it. That's what I want to do. Now, I want to tell you, this brother is humble, and he's probably not going to tell you this, but that brother had a chance to win. Matter of fact, he probably could have won his age group if he hadn't had to take care of me. What, what you may not know, this brother has actually been invited to uh, Athens, Greece, to the world Spartan race in his age group. That is a pretty big deal. That just don't happen. So he, he, his goal could have been, if he wasn't nursing me back around this thing, his goal could have been to win the race. But that should be our goal, to obtain the prize. Now, the thing about a race, physically speaking, like Heather Dornadin uh, was just in, only one person can win the prize. But when it comes to the Christian walk, we all can win the prize. Can you say amen? And we all should be striving to win the prize. And our goal should be to win the prize. 
Let me give you three quotes about setting goals that I absolutely love. Two of them come from two of my favorite football coaches because I can relate to that. First of all, I want you to give you, give you a quote from the great coach Lou Holtz, who coached uh, many different teams, but um, he's probably best known for his coaching of the uh, – Notre Dame Fighting Irish. He said, the danger of not setting goals is that you spend all your time running up and down the field but never cross the goal line. That's good. He said, you spend all the time doing all the work to get to the goal line, but you never cross it. You never receive the prize. You never achieve the main goal. That's good stuff. I like how he put it. Another one comes from, uh, from Bear Bryant. In, uh, in honor of Alabama putting something on Utah State this weekend, I'm going to give you a quote from Bear Bryant. Now, look what it says. It says, never quit. Quitting is the easiest cop-out in the world. When you attain your goal, set another goal, and don't quit until you reach it. Never quit. That's good stuff. That's good advice. He knew the importance of setting goals. Zig Ziglar, a motivational speaker, and also one-time vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Listen to what he said. He says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. That's good stuff. I love that one. If you don't set a goal for yourself and you aim at nothing, then that's what you're going to hit. That's what you're going to be. So what is our goal when it comes to our Christian walk? For the blood-bought, born-again believer... What is our goal? What should our goal be according to the Word of God? Well, let me give you two. I want to give you a goal for today, and I want to give you a goal for tomorrow. I want to give you a goal for now and a goal for the future. What is our goal for today? Well, let me give you a very powerful verse of Scripture, Acts eleven twenty six. Brothers, if you will, please put this on the screen. Listen to what the, the Scripture tells us in Acts 11, verse number 26. It says, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. I mean, they brought Paul to Antioch. And Antioch, let me explain this to you, was the mission church of the church of Jerusalem. When the, the saints were being persecuted in Jerusalem and they left, many of them went to Antioch and started a church. And Antioch was being supported financially and prayerfully um, through the, the ministry at Jerusalem. And so it was a mission church of Jerusalem, and that's where Paul had ended up after he got saved. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. That means Paul and his missionary team. And the disciples were called, watch this now, Christians first in Antioch. So let's, let's look at that word. What we, our goal should be for every blood-bought, born-again believer is to live up to our name. First and foremost, that's the goal for today. What does Christian mean? Christian in the Greek actually means little Christ. Let me explain to you what was going on. Many of the people there in Antioch that were outside of the church began to look at the lifestyle of those inside the church, those in the body of Christ. And they said, you know what? These followers, these people there at the church, um, they look a whole lot like Jesus. So what we're going to call them is little Jesuses or little Christ. We're going to call them Christians. Now, if someone looked at my life or someone looked at your life, would they see Jesus? If someone looked at the decision and choices I make and the decision and choices you make, would they see Jesus? If someone looked at how you treat people, speak to people, would they see Jesus? If someone heard what you said and how you said it, would they hear Jesus? 
if someone looked at how you served others, would they see Jesus? Could they look at your life and say, hey, there goes a little Christ. That's someone that's Christ-like. We must live up to our name. We must, if we're going to achieve the goal for today, we must be Christ-like. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter number 22 and verse number 37, some Pharisees came to him and they said, you know, what, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, okay, if you want me to sum the whole law up, I'm fixing to sum it up for you. He said, this sums up the whole law. First of all, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second one is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what's Jesus saying? Let's keep this simple. If you really want to know what all the law is about, it's loving God and what? Loving people. That's what Jesus said. So let's look at the life of Christ and see how he loved God. And he said, brother, we, I thought you said Jesus was God. He was. He was a son of God and God the son. He was God incarnate in the flesh. But he put himself in submission to the father. Not that he was less than the father, but came to do the father's will. Biblical submission is not about being less than. Biblical submission is about fulfilling the purpose of God. Biblical submission it's about fulfilling the purpose of God. And that's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. He came in submission to the Father to fulfill his purpose. Now, when he got here, we see how he related to the Father, how he fellowshiped with the Father. Over and over and over and over again, you'll see throughout the life of Christ and the Gospels that Jesus continually went apart by himself up into a mountain to pray. Do you, do you remember reading that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You see it everywhere. Now what's he doing there? He's getting alone with the Heavenly Father and he's spending time in prayer. Him talking to the Father and the Father talking to him. Can you say amen? Because prayer is not just a monologue, but a dialogue. It's you talking to God, but also it's you listening for God to talk to you. And that's what Jesus was doing. Matter of fact, the disciples were so impressed by the prayer life of the Lord Jesus, they said, Lord, won't you teach us to pray? And that's always amazed me. Jesus was the greatest preacher who ever lived. He was the greatest miracle worker who ever walked the face of the earth. But they didn't ask him how to preach. They didn't ask him how to do miracles. They asked him how to pray. Maybe because they realized it was through his prayer life he received the power to preach and to do the miracles. Jesus was a man of prayer. Not only was he a man of prayer, he was also a man of worship. You see Jesus being faithful to the feast days. All throughout the book of John you see that. You see Jesus being faithful to the Sabbath, the day of worship. When it was time for worship, guess where Jesus was? He was with other people of faith, worshiping. Now, if Jesus was a man of prayer and Jesus was a man of worship, don't we need to be men and women of prayer? Don't we need to be men and women of worship? If it was important to Jesus to cultivate his relationship with God the Father through prayer and worship, isn't it important to us to cultivate our relationship to God the Father through prayer and worship? 
Sure it is. Not only does prayer and worship cultivate your relationship, but it strengthens your fellowship. And it's through the fellowship with God that you receive strength to be and do what God wants you to be and do. Jesus loved his Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he also loved people. And he commanded us to do the same thing. Let me give you a few verses. Matthew 7 and 12, Jesus said, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You'll know how to love people. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Do you realize that if we just applied this one verse, if we applied this one verse to the world that we live in, nine, I'm going to say 99.5% of the crime throughout the whole world would cease tonight if we just applied this one verse. Doing unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It's amazing. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, speaking to his disciples, he said, a new commandment I give unto you. He said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. What's he telling them? He says, if you go on in that verse, and by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How is a lost and dying world going to know there's something different about the blood-bought, born-again believer by the love we have one for another? Amen? As I speak the love of Christ, and as I show the love of Christ, I speak it with my lips. I try to tell you every week I love you, and I mean that. I do love you. I see you as my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Amen? You are my family. We are blood kin. If the blood of Christ has been applied to your heart and life by faith, and the blood of Christ has been applied to my heart and life by faith, that means I am born again into God's family, and you are born again into God's family. I am his adopted son. You are his adopted son or daughter. We are blood kin before the Lord. In the Lord. You're my family. And I love you. And it's good to say it with your lips. Dear uh, friend of mine, powerful pastor, he said something I love. He said, I tell my brothers and sisters in Christ, I love them so much it, it becomes awkward. And I make it weird. He said, I want them to know it. Nothing wrong with speaking it. But let me tell you something. It shouldn't just be spoken with our lips, but shown with our lives. Hey, show concern for others. Reach out and help people that need help. Hey, Listen, go the extra mile. Do what Jesus said. He said, if a man asks for your coat, give him your cloak also. If a man asks you to walk one mile with him, walk another mile. Go the extra mile is what Jesus is saying. Go above and beyond to show the love of Jesus. Not just with your words, but with your actions. Jesus loved God and loved people. And if we're going to be Christ-like, we've got to do the same thing. 
Amen? These are not the only ways you love God and love people, but these are some main ones. If we'll apply these, it'll go a long way. So that's your goal for today. Your goal for today is to be Christ-like, to live up to your name. Your goal for tomorrow is do just what 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 25 says, and every man that striveth for the mastery um, in, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to attain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Everybody say incorruptible. What is my goal as a believer and your goal as a believer for tomorrow? My goal and your goal is to one day receive the crown that is promised to those who are faithful servants of the Lord. Now, let me make something clear to you. Listen. The Christian does not run the race to get to heaven. He or she is only in the race because they have trusted in Jesus. Now listen. If they have trusted in Jesus, they are made partakers of the eternal life promised by those who believe, or to those who believe. Listen, we are not running the race to get to heaven. That's already signed sealed and delivered by the finished work of Christ. It's a gift of eternal life given to you. However, as a Christian who is put in the race, we are running to receive an incorruptible crown. And that's just one of them. I want to give you five crowns that are listed in the Word of God. I'm going to preach a message on this one day when the Lord allows me to do so. But I want to give you just the scriptures tonight before we move on. There's the incorruptible crown spoken of in 1 Corinthians 9.25. There's the crown of righteousness spoke of in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. We read that just a moment ago. There's the crown of life spoke of in James 1 and 12. There's the crown of glory spoke of in 1 Peter 5 and verse number 2. And then there's the crown of rejoicing spoke of in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19. So there are five crowns throughout the New Testament that the Bible says we as Christians can receive at the judgment seat of Christ. And then the Bible says over in the book of Revelation that there's going to come a time when all the believers that are in heaven will lay their crowns down at the feet of Jesus. Now why would we do that? Well, I'll tell you why. It's only because of Jesus that we're even in the race. And it's only because of Jesus that we receive the eternal gift of heaven. So I can't glorify in what I've done. It was his power that allowed me to do it. I can't glorify myself. I, I don't need to be glorified in the work that I've completed because it's truly him that does the work if the work's going to be done effectively. So I don't keep the crowns. I give them back to him. Why? Because he deserves all the honor and glory. But Paul said, these people who run the race to receive a corruptible crown, not only do they run with persistence, they run all the race, and not only do they um, then run with uh, purpose, realizing that they have a goal to achieve, a goal for today and a goal for tomorrow, but they also run with power, and that's how we ought to run. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse number 27. Excuse me, verse number 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, 
lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What's Paul saying? He's saying anybody who's going to run a race well, physically speaking, has to bring his body or her body under subjection or submission. The greatest Olympian as of right now that's ever lived is a man by the name of Michael Phelps. Do y'all remember Michael Phelps? He was a swimmer. And um, he swam in two, maybe three Olympics, but I think two. He's got 28 medals. That's 10 more than anybody else. And that's huge. I don't know that we'll ever see that surpassed in our lifetime again. Maybe we will. I don't know. But I remember when Michael Phelps was doing his thing and winning all those medals, um, I was very interested in what this brother was doing. I mean, he was just amazing me at how he was swimming and winning those races. And so I studied Michael Phelps, you know, and I, I read everything I could read about Michael Phelps. I even read his diet for a day, you know, that he had to eat to be able to race in and win all of these races on an Olympic level. And he was eating something like almost 5,000 calories a day. 5,000. 5, the, the average human being eats around twelve to 1,500 calories a day. Now, this brother had muscles on his earlobes. It wasn't like he was eating the wrong things. He was eating all the right things. Now, he may have wanted a Big Mac, but he wasn't eating Big Macs. Why? Big Macs may taste good to the flesh, but it don't help you win the race. Are you getting me? I always thought it was funny. McDonald's um, was one of his sponsors during the last Summer Olympics that he was in. I thought, that brother ain't eating no Big Mac in 10 years. No way. He can't. Why? Because it's going to hinder his performance. So what he does is he races with power. I mean, he exercises authority over his flesh. His body may want a Big Mac. I bet a Big Mac would taste good, even to Michael Phelps. But you know what? He don't give his body authority to have a Big Mac. Why? Because he's not all about pleasing the flesh. He's about winning a gold medal. Are you getting me? What am I saying to you? There are some things in our lives as believers that may feel real good to the flesh, may please the flesh. But if it's not helping you run your race effectively, then you've got to lay it down. Listen, everybody likes a good Big Mac, don't they? I do. Matter of fact, I really love a double quarter pounder with cheese. That's what I really like. Big old large fry. Amen. Michael Phelps loves it too. I'm telling you he does. Has to. But he can't eat that if he's going to race effectively. Are you getting what I'm saying? Whatever is hindering you from running your most effective race, listen to me. We've got to bring our body under subjection because Paul said... I don't want to preach to everybody else and be disqualified from the race I'm running. Well, that's a different message for a different day. Paul is not saying in any, by any means he loses heaven or loses his salvation. He's saying he's going to lose. Listen to me now. 
the influence he has with those who are racing around him. That's what he's saying. Tonight, remember, run with persistence, run with purpose, and run with power. Don't allow your flesh to be in control of your life. Die to the flesh so that we might walk in the Spirit. Any comments or questions? Any prayer requests? Any other spoken this evening? Amen. All right. I love you. Have a great week.